Thank you for joining us. The Dacus Report is on the air to defend your religious freedom, your parental rights, and other civil liberties. And now, with the latest information, is your host, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, On today's show, uh, we have with us here constitutional law attorney Michael Peffer, who also heads up the Southern California Office for Pacific Justice Institute, and we appreciate uh, the work you're doing. We have not only your office, but we have uh, three other offices in California. That's right. And then we've got offices in 15 other states across the country, uh, which make up about over 80% of the U.S. population. Mm. So it's uh, it's very exciting, all that we're helping. And I greatly appreciate the work you're doing uh, for people of faith in Southern California in particular. Thank you. Now, Justice Breyer is the Supreme Court justice who is over uh, the the circuit, if you will, uh, for New England. Yes. Uh-huh. And uh, this uh, justice decided to allow a decision which did not rule in favor of vaccine mandate uh, objectors yes, it uh, to stand. So that, that took place. But let's go backward, if we will. What was involved in this case and how did the lower court rule on it? Yeah, and that's important. So we in the district court, which is the trial level court for the federal uh, courts, uh, they um, the, the the court rejected uh, these healthcare employees' claim that they aren't being their religious rights weren't being respected. So unfortunately, the the, the lower court, the district court, uh, basically upheld the healthcare facilities' rejection of their religious rights. We hate to see that. That that's that's definitely a negative. And that was earlier this month. And so um, basically, the that court, the the preliminary uh, court here, the federal district court said uh, this rule does the reason that this rule does not um, compel them to get vaccinated. In other words, yeah, sure they can refuse the vaccine, but. Unfortunately, the the court is basically saying the fact that they are going to lose their job apparently is of no importance. Yeah. To say that, oh, well, you're not forced to get the vaccine. You can just lose your job and have no bread and butter on the table. Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, That's worse than saying let them eat cake. Yeah. This is like basically (laughs) saying and and don't even let them provide for themselves. You know, there's no right. Yeah. Those people have to choose between their religious convictions and their ability to put bread and butter on the table. Yeah. I mean, that is, um, I, I, obviously, we disagree with that uh, that decision. Yeah. What happened at the and, circuit court level? And, and also on, on that, it's important that people know that Title VII, and it doesn't look like, at least from the information we've gotten initially, that they availed themselves of Title VII. But Title VII is, was created just so that this wouldn't happen. It was created so that the, the, the workplace has to show some attention to me- medical exemptions, not just say, we're going to deny them all. So uh, and, and we do understand that there is an accommodation process that should take place that apparently didn't take place here. And unfortunately, the district court said, no, we, we, we think that this burdens everybody else the same as it burdens uh, Christians, which is certainly not true if they're saying the religious exemption doesn't apply. But then they went to the, the, the these uh hospital workers went to the First Circuit uh, Court of Appeals and asked for an emergency stay while they were litigating this matter. 
Um, and while the appeal went forward, it, the First Circuit also denied it. Okay. So and, the federal district court denied the request of those who did not want to get vaxxed for, on religious grounds. The First Circuit Court of Appeals said, that's right. They don't have any right for uh, protection yeah. uh, under the Free Exercise Clause of the First Amendment of the Constitution. Once again, apparently it doesn't look like Title VII was even argued here, which is a, right. you know, which is a shame. That's on its face anyway. Yeah. So then uh, what happened? They, uh, I'm sure an appeal was filed to have it go before the Supreme Court, probably an emergency injunction. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, and this is, uh, once again, this is Justice Breyer's territory. Each Supreme Court justice sort of has a territory to deal with emergency injunctions. Yes. Uh, how did Justice Breyer rule on this? Well, Justice Breyer ruled consistent with the First Circuit. And just to clarify, the First Circuit didn't say, okay, this is our final ruling. They just said, we're not going to give you emergency relief, which unfortunately spells out the First Circuit's position on this, that it's unlikely they're going to side with this for uh, relief. But um, when the... Uh, when Justice Breyer got this, Justice Breyer basically just said, uh, "Well, um, we're we're, we're going to give we're going to deny this emergency relief, which is fairly appropriate. We, it's rare that you're going to get an emergency injunction for, before the Supreme Court. We know well about that because we've actually gotten emergency relief from the Supreme Court at PGI. So, uh, I so this case is not dead. No, um, the fact is on the merits." It can then be appealed to be heard fully and completely by the First Circuit. Yes. And not just for an emergency injunction, but on the full merits of the case. Right. Then on the full merits of the case, a petition for cert can be filed with the entire United States Supreme Court. Yes. I think personally, Michael, that that these who filed this, this lawsuit, these workers in, in Maine, uh, have actually a, a, a good shot. The, <laughs> the court, lower court says, hey... This rule about requiring a vaccine, it's, it's, it's neutral on its face. It applies to everyone on its face. It doesn't just, uh, you know, focus on people of faith, it doesn't uh, just uh, isolate a, a group. I think the court will look at this and say, uh, this may be the case law set by Justice Scalia. Yes. But now is the time to, to give some, some redefinition. And when you see a, a group predominantly even though it may be neutral on its face, but there's one group predominantly hit hard, which are people of faith yes. with religious objections. Yes. Uh, I think that they would have a, a good, there's a good chance that the majority on this Supreme Court will say, uh-uh, no more. Yeah. You've got to respect religious freedom. You can't go, uh, hide under a cloak of general applicability and, and neutrality. Yeah. So we'll see how it turns out, but this could be a very important case moving down uh, as we, we see this progress. Yeah, I, I think it, it may well be a case that we're we're looking for a case that at some point in the near future, the Supreme Court will overturn the Smith case that you alluded to with the Justice Scalia, unfortunately, making you know a bad decision, in my opinion. Oh, yes. Uh, and so but this has to be challenged. And, and I, the, the, the way that the district court put this is that it says that it. it it burdens rights of philosophically or politically based objections, the same as religious beliefs. Well, the only problem is religious beliefs have constitutional protection politically or, or burdening those rights is not as constitutionally right. protected as religious rights. Yeah, there's some free speech rights there, but uh, we're yes. looking at a, a, a double hit with free speech and uh, the free exercise 
uh, rights when it comes to religious um, objections That's with right. regards to this. So I, I agree. I think uh, that too will be another issue that uh, we could see them uh, ruling on. And, and they've recently shown a propensity to give uh, great strength to the free exercise clause on its own. Yes. And, and not having to be dependent on also the free speech clause. That's right. So uh, this will be uh, interesting to watch. Now, I know, um, you know, with regards to recent cases that we've handled, the the case that we took on in March, that we actually had brought for the Supreme Court in March, uh, was very important. You know, right now we're talking about vaccine mandates. Yeah. But, Michael, when uh, we had the churches shut down, initially the case law was terrible. I mean, there were some people, some groups that just quickly filed lawsuits right. inappropriately, and they lost. That's right. We were very strategic. We didn't give up, uh, even though these these governors from intolerant, oppressive states like California, New York, and others were just going after it, shutting down the churches, pounding them, pounding them. Uh, we were very strategic. We uh, filed a, a case in federal court, and then in March we filed for an emergency injunction. Uh, for, with the United States Supreme Court, and we yeah. we got an emergency injunction granted, which I think in many ways uh, turned the tide in favor of people of faith and churches. Yes. To what extent do you think it was a great victory? Yeah, big time. And Kevin Snyder did just a fantastic job with that case, our chief sure. counsel for Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, but what do you think about the situation that we're dealing with now regarding the vaccine mandates? You know, right now it seems like once again, the oppressive states, oppressive governors seem to be, you know, pounding, seem to be intimidating, uh, pouring on more and more pressure along with the, the president, uh, Biden, and putting more and more pressure, more and more intimidation. Yeah. Uh, to what extent, though, do you see some some light at the end of the tunnel with some some pushback taking place that uh, may uh, put them on the defensive at the end of the day? Yeah, that, that is a great question, because my my I've been trying to encourage people that, look, right now it looks like the dawn is dark, but it's not. We we will continue to fight these. Last year, it took us a long time to get some good rulings from the Supreme Court. We finally pressed forward on our case, got an emergency injunction, which is almost unheard of, as we just read, thought, saw in the First Circuit case. But but it's important that we keep moving forward and people should not lose hope. People should be able to say, look, eventually, I think the right thing will be done. And and in this case, we need a couple of good rulings from some of the, the courts. And we're going to talk about one of those in a minute here. Um, and then we need, of course, some good rulings in at the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has yet to take on a significant case involving the vaccine mandates and whether or not there's the religious rights should trump these vaccine um, mandates. So that's what we're 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 going to continue to push this from as many angles as we can and uh, represent our clients in doing so. You know, Michael, there's. Uh there's some Christians out there who say, I don't think this is a religious issue. People should just, it's just a vaccine. People should get the vaccine. It's just like the polio da, da, vaccine. Yes. Da, 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 da. That's right. And they don't get it that, I mean, they may see it that way. Yeah. But religious freedom is not about just protecting people who you agree with. That's right. Uh, you may think it's not religious, but for them, it is religious. That's right. So religious 
Hundreds of thousands, maybe several million, are on the brink of losing their jobs. Yes. So many in the military are on the brink of being uh, court-martialed, literally court-martialed. That's right. So I think it's so important that irrespective of people's position on the vaccine, the vaccine mandate, we need to understand this is about something much bigger. It's about religious freedom, Title VII rights, and it, it must be respected. Absolutely. And it's important that people understand this, that that the, the Supreme Court has said that the reason why we have free speech, the reason why we must protect it is that for the people we don't agree with. Right. That's why we protect speech. Not so that everybody can say what they agree with. No, it's for people we don't agree with. Same thing with religion. Well, folks, when we return, we're going to talk about what an appellate court says uh, with regards to a church picketer when we return right after this. Pacific Justice Institute is here for you. Defending faith, family, and freedom all without charge. We're almost entirely supported by concerned individuals like you who believe in our work. We invite you to prayerfully consider joining our support team by making a one-time donation or becoming a monthly financial support partner. Visit our website at pji.org and join our team today. Welcome back. I'm Brad Dacus, president and founder of Pacific Justice Institute. Michael, uh, the appellate court uh, dealing with a, is dealing with a case in, in Pennsylvania involving a man who is demonstrating in front of a church. He's hostile to the church. Um, and the court ruled that, uh, that no, this, uh, you can't exclude him uh, from making his case known against the church. And I guess they had a restriction that uh, preliminary injunction of at least 5,000 feet that this individual, this protester, had to stay away from the church. Yeah. And the court struck that down and said that was, uh, that was too far? That was too far. Uh, the, the court did, the, the uh, appellate court did agree that they were entitled to a TRO, that, that this person had to stay away. You can't be right there at the church. And this is often something that I think people need to understand. It's sometimes a delicate balance in our freedoms. We, we do have to live in a society that they people call it pluralistic society, where we have some religions doing this, some religions doing that. Um, uh, I remember we used to get a lot of calls from people that, hey, well, there's a, a, a mosque opening up down the street and things like that. But it's hard to say, no, they can't come in without opening yourself up to the fact that then they're going to say that, others are going to say that about a church. Here, it's similar. So what happened here is this guy, he gets excommunicated from the church. So he is sort of a menace to the church. There's no question about that. Uh, he says he's carrying a, a gun by permit. He, he He's basically... Maybe arguably, I don't know all the facts, but a nutcase type of a guy. Um, but he's picketing this church and against the church's leadership. So they go, rightly so, they go to court and the court grants them a temporary restraining order, but says the person has to say 5,000 feet away. That's a long distance. Very long distance. And, and, yeah. and really, so what this court said was, you know what? That's just not narrowly tailored. That's one of the constitutional buzz phrases is it has to be narrowly tailored. Right. And this the court said was not. So in other words, the court's saying, hey, look, 5,000 feet 
is more than is necessary to protect the church That's from right. this individual. You can still have a bubble, if you will. You can still have a protective zone, but that's way too big of a bubble of protection. Uh, what do you think would be a reasonable protection based on some other case law? I know that there's been some like abortion clinics have had some bubble ordinances trying to protect them from right. uh, sidewalk preachers or uh, street counselors. What, what are we looking at that that uh, might be upheld by this uh, appellate court moving forward? Yeah, that's a good question. I think that, for instance, many of the bubble zones are 50 feet or 35 feet. Even uh, when there's a dangerous person that you go in and somebody's stalking you, they say 150 to 300 feet. So even in that territory, you can realize how big this distance is when they're talking versus 300 feet at the max to 5,000 feet. Yikes, that, that, that's just a bridge too far for this court. And I, I think it's a good balance. It, it really is. They're entitled to this, uh, this person being able to stay away so that people don't have to fear. But they're not entitled to this person basically being put outside the city. Um, and, you know, that's, yeah. I think, what happened here. Yeah, and, and, the, and the court can look and assess the facts and decide the level of risk. Yes. I mean, a sidewalk counselor outside an abortion clinic involved in ministry to, to women who are, don't know what to do and they're about right. to make the wrong decision. They're not a threat. They're not a violent threat. That's right. So, you know, 50 feet, 35 feet, I can, you know, I, that is a much more uh, palatable than if you have someone with a concealed weapon who has anger, maybe hatred yeah. towards an institution and people going in and, in and out of the church, there's a real threat that they could have a bullet yeah. Uh, you know, you know, shot at him. I mean, that's a real, real concern. So sure. I would expect the court in this situation, the end of the day, um, to, to approve something that's more than just 50 feet. Yeah. But less, obviously, than 5,000, which is what they ruled here. Right. right. So it, you're right. It is a balance. I mean, I, I do I do have concerns uh, in the long run, though, with regards to what churches may be facing. I agree. Because as so many in our society become so hostile and hate-filled and intolerant uh, towards people of faith and churches, uh, more just vehement against churches, mm -hmm. I can see them trying, at the end of the day, intimidation tactics. Those churches that preach the gospel, preach from the Bible, uh, that we could see more and more in the future, uh, massive demonstrations in front of those churches to intimidate people from yes. attending. And that would be a serious blow to religious freedom and the ability to gather and worship. That is something I know we're watching very carefully at Pacific Justice Institute. Yes. And we actually get calls from churches that are saying that there's people outside their gates and uh, they're they're harassing people that are going into the church. Look, that that's that's wrong. Uh, but we, we do have to balance this out. And that's what we usually talk to them about, about how, how to balance this out, what the law enforcement is, authorities are saying. But, but look, they don't have the right to harass people from the traffic, but they do have the right to disagree with the church. and um, At a safe distance. At a safe distance. Yes. That's right. <laughs> with that qualifier. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, Nebraska, we've got some good news here. Nebraska, I see, is a as a free, what I call a free state. Yes, you have oppressive states, codenamed blue states, generally, yes. and then you have free states, codenamed red states. Nebraska is a free state. They they lean towards freedom and liberty. Yes, and the attorney general, 
I understand, has decided to step in and stick up for those patients out there and physicians who want to provide uh, therapies for people who are uh, struggling with uh, the the uh, the COVID nineteen virus. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, there's a lot of patients and some doctors who feel uh, like their hands are tied to provide some of these uh, therapies that have proven to be so successful to for so many. Yeah, and this is one of the things that has really made me nervous. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I know you're not either, but. It's really made me nervous the fact that they're, they want to squash all the treatments that are known and encourage a vaccine that is not 100%. It's not really even a vaccine. It does right. not prevent you from getting the disease or the virus. So it really has frustrated me when people I know have gotten very sick and they were unable to get these medicines because the state of California put their doctor's licenses at risk. And so I'm really happy to hear about this attorney general who stepped in and said, no, you cannot uh, stop their, you can't threaten their licenses over an off-label use of a medication. And that includes ivermectin, which did win a Nobel Peace Prize for, um, or Nobel Prize for Science that said it's it it's, has really promising um, uh, components in it, as well as the hydrochloroquine, which is used people that have lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. They use this all, all the time. Some people for the, their whole life they're using this. Uh, so it's it's certainly a safe drug, a known drug. Both of these drugs, and I like the fact that this attorney general said we're going to take away the legal threat uh, from these doctors. That's that's it. Sounds to me like a, a very reasonable thing to do, yeah. So that they can do what they uh, are are there to do, which is to help the sick and do everything they can with the knowledge that they have and the skills and resources to help people recover from the COVID nineteen virus. Yeah. Uh, this is a really a no brainer. You have medical institutions like some hospitals, I won't name them uh, on the air. Yeah. Who say, oh no, we're not going to give uh, you know these these uh, therapies. Uh, even though the medical profession, by and by, overall has proven that they they can be actually very, very effective yeah. in saving lives, and I think right. Dr. McAuliffe of uh, Baylor University's Medical Center has gone on record, very highly uh, uh, reputable gentleman yes. um, and doctor. He's gone on record as saying, "Look, if you provide these uh, antiviral therapies early on, when the when you." When the person first realizes they have COVID nineteen, yes, he says you won't have fatalities. He says he hasn't seen a single one of his patients die. Yeah, and the reason is because he get makes sure they have immediate antivirals protection, like ivermectin and HCQ. Absolutely, and you know there's a difference. We we hear it all the time. You got expert witnesses, and they'll come on and say, "No, this this we can't use this medicine or that medicine." But I find that the treaters, the treating physicians that are on the front lines of this, they're saying, I've treated all my patients with this and they all, nobody died. I'll take that person's advice every day of the week as somebody who actually has experience treating patients as opposed to kind of an egghead response of, oh, yeah, I, I have all this knowledge, but I'm not treating any patients. Dr. Fauci, he's not treating any patients, <laughs> That's just, for instance. Yeah, when you're saying this, I'm thinking, Dr. Fauci, yeah. Dr. Fauci, Dr. <laughs> exactly. Fauci. That's right. I mean, if he was my doctor, yeah. 
I, I wouldn't listen to what he says. Not a thing. He's not a practicing doctor, really. And That's yet he's right. dic- making these dictates, these sweeping dictates. Uh, you know, he still has yet, as, as best I know, he still has yet to acknowledge publicly what more than 13 studies have said with regards to those who've had COVID and that their natural antibodies are stronger and broader than any of the vaccines available. Yes. Yes. That's out there. It's given. It's established. And Dr. Fauci, for whatever reason, refuses to publicly acknowledge that. That's right. What that tells me is this is someone that we cannot rely on for medical counsel and information. We need yeah. to talk to real doctors. I like the frontline doctors. High integrity. That's right. They have the patients. Uh, and other doctors like Dr. McAuliffe, who heads up the coronary uh, division of the uh, Baylor Medical University. Yeah. Um, I, I just think that we need to be very careful who we're listening to, to the extent to which some of these, like Dr. Fauci, I think are far too politically driven yes. as opposed to medically uh, driven in, in terms of what's actually best for real clients and patients. Pacific Justice Institute invites you to join in the fight to protect our religious liberties. Consider volunteering in one of our California offices or become an affiliate attorney. Visit our website to find out more, pji.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our Legal Insider to keep updated on all of our current cases. Pacific Justice Institute. Together, we can make a difference. So folks, there you have it. It's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brian Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue to fight for your freedoms. Thank you for listening in today. To find out more about the Pacific Justice Institute or the Dacus Report, call 916-857-6900 or log on to pacificjustice.org.